All right, welcome back once again to the Counter Vortex with your ranter, Bill Weinberg, ranting at you now in the wee hours of January 22nd from my apartment on Manhattan's Lower East Side. And, uh, you know, I feel really consternated about the fact that I've been trying to get away from just ranting about, you know, my own quotidian dilemmas because it's starting to feel a little bit self-indulgent, especially given everything that's going on in the world. And, uh, you know, I really uh, do feel the need to address the quite frightening, escalating situation in Ukraine. And uh, as stated last week, you know, there's also some extremely uh, underreported conflicts around the world that are not getting nearly enough attention that I would like to uh, bring to the attention of my listeners as well. And I've got, you know, a huge pile of books which I've uh, uh, committed to reviewing on this podcast. Uh, and yet I keep putting it off. I think this is like now four weeks in a row <laughs> to uh, rant about um, the Kafka-esque nightmares that I have been going through trying to get tested for COVID-19. And, uh, you know, as always, just trying to, uh, you know, keep my um, internet connection and my electricity on. It really is a constant battle. And, you know, this really speaks to the... the the fundamental nature of the, uh, the the dystopia that the world is facing at this moment is that, you know, the potential imminence of, you know, world war breaking out with Ukraine as a flashpoint is certainly something which demands our attention, without a doubt. And yet, ultimately, you know, it uh, these, you know, big, pressing, urgent global issues are in some ways a distraction from what's been called the revolution of everyday life. Well, we're all busy, you know, dealing with these big, urgent, pressing global issues. We all just sort of accept that our lives are being, you know, colonized by these, by these sinister bureaucracies. And the system that we all live under just becomes more literally inhuman every day. Literally inhuman human. As in, we're not interacting with human beings anymore. We're interacting with machines and robots. It's impossible to actually get a human being on the phone or almost impossible to actually get a human being on the phone when you're battling, you know, these bureaucracies, which have completely colonized our lives. All right. So uh, for one more week, I'm going to rant about this. And then I promise I will uh, start talking about some of the other international issues that I've been uh, putting off for too long. But uh, indulge me for one more week, because there really is a link here, you understand, between, you know, the quotidian intimate forms of oppression and the big, pressing, urgent global dilemmas. Ultimately, we are not going to be able to address the latter unless we address the former. All right, for starters, just to give an update on my situation trying to get tested for COVID-19, just to uh, briefly go over what I've been through. I was uh, scheduled to get my booster shot a couple of days before Christmas. And uh, the day before I was scheduled to get the booster shot, I started coming down with symptoms. And you're not supposed to get the shot if you're actually symptomatic with COVID. So I felt like first I needed to find out if I got COVID. And uh, the clinic where I thought that, uh, you know, where I was due to get the, the booster shot, I thought that I could just get the, the test there, but it turns out they don't test. So I had to go down to Gouverneur Hospital down on Madison Street, about a half a mile south of my own neck of the woods in the greater Lower East Side. 
and uh, there was a huge line around the block. This was just when, you know, the panic about the Omicron variant was hitting in here in the New York metropolitan area. And I didn't want to wait on this long line with other people who had been exposed or who I could possibly risk exposing, not to mention wait on the line in the cold when I was not feeling well. So I bagged it. I put it off. I just went home and I isolated. And then, uh, you know, I was sick for about two weeks. Not terribly sick, but sick enough. Thank you very much. Certainly, I was never in any danger. Uh, Then when I was well again, I went out and tried to get tested. And on um, Tuesday, January 4th, I went back down to Grouverner Hospital and waited in the cold for about 40 minutes to get tested. A week after that, the 11th, Tuesday the 11th, my test results still had not come in. So I went back down to the hospital and I said, yo, what's up? And they said, well, your results probably got lost. Take the test again. <laughs> so I took the test again. And uh, that day it was really bitter, bitter cold. So there wasn't a long line. It was like you know, in the teens. So there wasn't a line at least. So uh, I didn't have to wait. I took the test and the results came back like just two days later, negative. But by that point, I had already been over my symptoms for like three weeks. So it could be a false negative. So I've been meaning to, you know, reschedule getting my booster shot. Now, you know, I'm in the clear to get the booster shot. Haven't yet gotten around to doing it. And meanwhile, just a couple of days ago, now that we're already in the second half of the month, finally, I get the results from the first test. (laughs) More than two weeks after I took it the first test that I took way back on January 4th, and it comes back um, flagged abnormal and inconclusive. So I don't know what that means, but it um, it heightens my suspicions that, in fact, the, uh, the negative results from the second test were, in fact, a, um, a false negative. So uh, in any event, another bureaucratic fuck-up. But, you know, I can sort of forgive the New York City Health and Hospitals Corporation, because, you know, they're a public institution and uh, underfunded and dealing with a crisis. And I have to say that the people down at the hospital are actually quite nice and quite human, and you can actually deal directly with human beings down there. I'm considerably less forgiving about the uh, new eruption of the ongoing nightmare that I've been dealing with for years First with Verizon, now both with Verizon and Con Edison. Well, for starters, we had uh, a lot of snow and rain over the past week. And inevitably, when there's a lot of precipitation, my internet connection goes out because I am still on DSL. I am still on the old copper wires, which um, Verizon has stopped maintaining. I've ranted about this before. You should all know this. In violation of New York state law, Verizon has essentially abandoned the copper wire, which means abandoning probably thousands of people across New York City who are dependent, and across New York State, who are dependent on those copper wires for phone and internet service. And as I've stated before, Verizon New York, which is a subsidiary of the overall Verizon company, one of many subsidiaries continues to be a New York State utility. It has inherited the trust responsibilities of the old New York telephone company, 
which has been for uh, ever since the late 1800s, required by state law to provide every New Yorker with a telephone. But the law has never been updated to include wireless. So if they can get everybody off of um, off of landlines and onto cell phones, then they will have no more trust responsibilities to the public of New York State. This is what nobody gets. All right, you're looking for your corporate conspiracy? This is a corporate conspiracy. Just like when the consortium led by uh, General Motors dismantled the trolley lines back in the 1950s, as is now documented. Okay, now phone and internet providers are trying to abandon the copper wires that have been used, you know, to send the signal for the past century and change. And as I've also ranted before, this is the only service that Verizon is making available to me because their new fiber optic service is not available in my building. So uh, this week, uh, you know, after we had all that precipitation, my, um, my internet connection slowed down to a crawl. It was like molasses. It was, you know, every time I had to click on a website, I would just sit there, click and wait, count to 10, count to 20, count to 30. Oh, finally, the page loaded. Thank you very much, which obviously slows down my work as a writer, which is how I make a living. And of course, you can't do any writing today, not professionally. You know, if you want to like keep your own personal journal, that's one thing. But you can't do any writing today professionally unless it's over the web. Just the way the world has been set up. Nobody asked me, but, uh, you know, nobody asked my permission. Nobody asked me if I preferred things this way, but that's how the world has been set up. And several times over the course of the uh, the past couple of days, the past uh, three days, I would say, my internet has gone out entirely, as frequently happens after rainstorms. You know, it goes com- out completely. Fortunately, my phone signal has not gone out, but my internet connection has gone out entirely for intervals of up to 15 or 20 minutes. And usually when that starts happening, that means that I am, uh, you know, the, the connection is about to go out for good and be down for the count and be out for a matter of weeks or months, as has happened repeatedly over the past several years. All right, and I've been dealing with that situation with Verizon for something like 10 or more years now. Now I'm, I've been having a, um, a new nightmare with Con Edison, my electricity and gas provider, which as I've uh, ranted about before, back in September, they hit me with an extra $300, approximately $300 on my bill with the justification that, uh, you know, because of um, the pandemic, they weren't actually, uh, you know, able to send somebody to the building to read the meter and they just had to make an estimate and they lowballed it. And now they wanted me to make up the difference. And I consider this to be such outrageous bullshit. I mean, once again, it would be as if, you know, I got a, uh, a loaf of bread at a grocery and paid, uh, you know, $2 for it. And then I got a, uh, a bill in the mail months later saying, oh, sorry, we decided to retroactively raise the price on that bread. You owe us another $15. Unbelievable that they are allowed to get away with this at all, but especially in the midst of a pandemic and a public health crisis, an attendant economic crisis. It's just beyond all imagining. So, uh, I said, I'm not paying. I refuse to pay. And I filed a complaint with the um, Public Service Commission, the New York State body, which ostensibly, emphasis on the word ostensibly, 
regulates the utilities. In fact, it does not regulate the utilities at all. Okay. I had uh, been trying to get some kind of response out of the uh, Public Service Commission for years about my uh, Verizon situation, and they never even responded to me. I actually broke down, you know, when, when filling out the forms on their website and sending them email did not elicit any response whatsoever. I actually sent them letters through the mail on more than one occasion, figuring, okay, maybe this will get their attention. No, no response whatsoever. So I don't know what the, uh, you know, Public Service Commission actually does. I mean, they're supposed to regulate the utilities and, you know, hear public complaints. Clearly, they don't do that. They do not regulate the utilities and they do not hear public complaints. So I don't know what they do. What does the Public Service Commission actually do? But, uh, you know, feeling like I had no choice here if I was going to contest these charges on my Con Ed bill, I uh, contacted them yet again and said that I considered these uh, charges to be illegitimate. And, of course, they never got back to me. Now, I had been led to believe that if I had a case pending against the uh, against Con Ed with the Public Service Commission, they could not actually cut off my service. Nonetheless, when my bill arrived last week, it was marked in red. Stop. Service turn off notice. Final termination notice. And slapping me with yet another $100 as what they're calling a deposit fee, which, again, strikes me as totally arbitrary. Now, uh, back in December, I had called the Public Service Commission to check in on what was happening with the case, and uh, they told me that they had been informed by Con Ed that I had been offered a payment plan where they would stretch the uh, $300 out, you know, over a couple of years with uh, by adding 10 bucks a month to my bill. And uh, yeah, they had offered me that and I refused it. So I already knew that. Thank you very much, Public Service Commission. So I told them that I considered the charges illegitimate and had refused the payment plan, thinking that this would mean that the case would therefore remain open. However, when I called back after receiving the, uh, the termination notice, the, the service cutoff notice, which it was giving me a deadline of like until the 21st to pay up or get my service cut off. So I called the Public Service Commission back after receiving that, and I was told that the case had been closed after 60 days of my filing it, which would have been around November 20th, because I did not formally contest the payment plan with the Public Service Commission. Now, nobody had told me this in advance. It's like nobody tells me the rules. And then I penalized for not following the rules. Again, utter, utter bullshit. All right, so then I called Con Edison. Was able to reach them before uh, closing time on, I believe it was the 19th, two days before the threatened service cutoff. And finally agreed to their damn payment plan if they would drop the extra deposit charge that they had added. So now I'm going to be paying $10 extra per month for the next few years, a bitter pill to swallow. And, you know, as the old saying goes, it isn't the lousy $10, it's the principle of the thing that really hurts. But it seemed like uh, nothing was happening with the Public Service Commission case, and I could not afford to risk a turnoff of my service. Utterly maddening 
and humiliating. Now, when I called the Public Service Commission back that same day and was belatedly told that the case had been closed way back in November, I was given the option of opening a new one, which I did, but I assumed that they will just close it again when Con Ed informs them that I had accepted the payment plan, despite the fact that I did so under duress. So if you are listening, Public Service Commission, I want to make clear, I wish to continue contesting these charges. If Con Ed made an error or estimate in their euphemism in billing me, they should have to eat the difference. I do not see how retroactively slapping me with charges for services already rendered is acceptable business practice, much less in the middle of a pandemic and an economic crisis. So this is what our corporate overlords are allowed to get away with while while all of us are distracted, or at any rate, ought to be distracted, by the imminent threat of world war breaking out over Ukraine. And interestingly enough, just as I was dealing with all of this, there was these maddening headlines about um, the rollout of 5G by Verizon and its corporate cohorts being protested by another exponent of our corporate overlords, the uh, aviation industry, the airlines, who raised concerns about potential interference of 5G with sensitive aircraft electronics like radio altimeters that could disrupt flights. Now, I don't have a horse in this race. My attitude is a plague on both your houses, Verizon and your sinister 5G and the aviation industry. And I had just been, uh, you know, ranting last week, if you recall, about this whole absolutely depraved phenomenon of ghost flights, where the airlines are actually flying thousands, every month flying thousands of empty flights in order to keep their um, slots at, uh, at, uh, at airports around the world in order to keep the minimum number of flights coming in, even if nobody is actually buying the tickets and the planes are flying empty. Once again, in the midst of all of this empty, hypocritical hand-wringing from world leaders about global warming and climate change, beyond all belief, just beyond all belief. And 5G, for all of the, you know, wacky, conspiranoid bullshit that has been spread about 5G, which I acknowledge, There has been, and I don't want to loan legitimacy to any of it, okay? That does not change the fact that there are legitimate reasons to oppose 5G. With, you know, beginning with the reality that it's a further hypertrophy of the wireless world and is going to continue to, uh, you know, consign those of us who are still dependent on copper wires to abandonment, just going to completely leave us all behind. So, you know, I just viewed this uh, spat between uh, Verizon and the airlines with a a sense of amused detachment, pox on both your houses, as far as I'm concerned. But to me, it was, again, it's kind of paradigmatic of uh, the whole global situation. We keep on expanding the technosphere and contracting the biosphere as if it were some inexorable imperative, blind to the utter dystopia we are creating. Why? Just why? 
And this is ultimately linked on, you know, some kind of fundamental systemic basis to the emergence of crises such as COVID-19, which probably, you know, entered the human sphere through, uh, you know, urban development eating into the last uh, fragments of naturaleza, which are left on the planet, where, you know, these viruses can exist in bats and pangolins without coming into contact with human beings. Which is once again why I have been ranting about all of this incessant saturation propaganda about how we have to return to normality, or as it is almost always now incorrectly rendered, normalcy. Because the more we return to normalcy, to use the ubiquitous malapropism, the less pressure there is going to be, for instance, on the airlines to actually cut back the number of flights, which is what so urgently needs to happen. And the more we get back to normalcy, the more we squander the opportunity for the urgently needed crash conversion from fossil fuels which must be concomitant with, you know, just a drastic downscaling of the works of industrial and technological civilization and transitioning to an economy which is not predicated on endless growth and more and more airline flights each year and wave after wave after wave of meaningless money-wasting upgrades, you know, phasing out 4G for 5G, and then 6G, and 7G, and 8G, and 9G, etc., Infinity G, and putting more and more and more satellites into orbit to accommodate more and more and more bandwidth. It's unsustainable, and it needs to be reversed. And of course, ultimately, that can't happen under capitalism, which is predicated on endless growth. Now, to me, this is all just so obvious, but nobody wants to view it. Look, don't blame me. It's not my fault that world socialist revolution is the only way out. I'm just the messenger. But once again, you know, normality is propelling the apocalypse. And the more we recognize the global crisis that we are in, multiple converging global crises, social, cultural, ecological, epidemiological, etc. The more the kind of urgently mandated sweeping changes that we need will be legitimized. Which again is why, you know, I am so furious at all of these uh, COVID denialists and anti-vax dogmatists who think that, you know, they're so rad and they're such libertarian gadflies and they're standing up to the man, when in fact they're spreading propaganda for the man and relieving the pressure for, you know, a massive expropriation, for instance, of Verizon and turning it into an actual public utility and dissolving it as a corporate entity entirely. And the same with the airlines and so on. And seizing all of that infrastructure and reconfiguring it for meeting human needs, for human and ecological ends, just at a time when such ideas are actually being legitimized. And socialism, which used to be a completely verboten word in American politics, is now gaining mainstream currency once again. And these idiots 
has seemed to have everything invested in denying the crisis and relieving the pressure on corporate power. And because, you know, I acknowledge the necessity of the vaccine, you know, they think that I'm some kind of a shill for the pharmaceutical industry. No, on the contrary, by denying the necessity of the vaccine, you are a shill for the pharmaceutical industry, which has not been making it available in Africa and much of the developing world because it isn't profitable for them to do so. So believe me, the pharmaceutical industry is very happy, you idiots, when you spread propaganda like this. This is, you know, the latest unimaginable idiotic horse feathers that I just saw on Facebook. This meme is going around, spread by some of my anti-vax friends. I quote, Imagine releasing a product that doesn't properly do what you promised it would do, and then blaming the malfunction on people who did not purchase said product, while telling those who bought it that they must buy it again every few months. End quote. Now, for starters, buy is not the right word, because it is governments which are buying the vaccine. It is being made available for free to the populace. I got my two shots back uh, last April. I didn't pay. I'm going to be getting my booster hopefully next week. I'm not going to pay. So buying is not the right word, but that's a secondary point. The primary point is that whoever put this meme together has simply refused to even make the slightest effort to understand the science and is so indoctrinated by the cult of corporate consumerism that they can't understand that taking a vaccine is not the same thing as buying a car or a microwave oven or a cell phone. It's a vaccine, and that's how vaccines work. It is entirely correct that the waning effectiveness of the vaccine is because not enough people took it. It's entirely accurate. So you people with your denialism are creating exactly the scenario that you're complaining about. That's right. The fewer people who take the vaccine, the less effective it is. And the more likely it is that we're all going to need booster shots at regular intervals for, you know, the rest of our lives. So all you're saying by sharing memes like this is, I'm totally indoctrinated by consumerism and refuse to understand the science. Ignorant and proud, the American way. Congratulations, you idiots. And far from shilling for Pfizer and Moderna, yeah, I'd like to see a public expropriation of them too, thank you very much. And the use of public funds from the, uh, the world's imperial powers to subsidize a massive vaccination effort in Africa and the developing world as a form of reparations to former colonies and countries that have been exploited and oppressed by neocolonialism. All right, I'm going to say one last thing before I sign off here, which I've actually been meaning to mention for the past uh, few weeks that I've been ranting in this theme, but uh, been so distracted by all the other stuff I've been ranting about that I've been putting it off. Before I do, I need to preface this comment by saying that the whole notion of a personal carbon footprint is in many ways a distraction. And again, you know, it's kind of this individualistic, uh, you know, uh, bourgeois consumerist approach to the whole question that blinds us to the systemic nature of the problem. For instance, 
you can personally refrain from flying in the name of reducing your carbon footprint. And guess what? The airlines are just going to to fly the damn plane empty. Now, maybe they'll burn a little bit less jet fuel if the plane is empty as opposed to filled with human beings, but they're still burning jet fuel. You're not having that much of an impact by refraining from flying. And I've really been uh, you know, extremely irritated over the past weeks that the National Public Radio has been airing these advertisements. Of course, technically they're not advertisements, they're promo spots, but really they're advertisements <laughs> because, you know, it's National Public Radio. <clears throat> so technically they're not advertisements, but really they're advertisements. Uh, for um, the so-called carbon-neutral credit card aspiration with a kicker of one card, zero carbon footprint. And what they say in their little um, promo spot that has been airing constantly on National Public Radio for the past several weeks now is that every time you use the card to make a purchase, they're going to plant a tree. And therefore, you'll have zero carbon footprint. And what I want to know is how are they allowed to get away with this claim? This strikes me as false advertising. Is anybody actually checking up on where they are planting these trees? And whether, in fact, planting these trees is at all an ecologically sound thing to do? Because sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't. You know, a, um, a, a tree plantation with trees planted in, uh, you know, neat rows being sprayed with pesticides is not the same thing as a forest. Certainly not in terms of maintaining biodiversity. And planting, you know, um, notoriously thirsty trees such as eucalyptus in an arid climate can be an extremely ecologically unsound thing to do. Now, I haven't looked into this, but somebody needs to look into this. Who is planting these trees and where are they being planted and under what conditions? And who has actually done the math to determine that no matter what you purchase, if you purchase a gas-guzzling SUV, if you purchase airline tickets, no matter what you purchase, because they plant one tree per purchase, the zero-carbon footprint... This sounds extremely specious. This sounds dubious as fuck. And I want to know if the Federal Trade Commission has looked into these dubious claims. But then again, of course, technically, it's not advertising. It's a promo spot on ostensibly non-commercial radio. So maybe it doesn't even come under the uh, purview of the FTC. Anyway, really maddening. But all of this is by way of um, prefacing a little boasting that I'm going to do about how I have been personally resisting the return to normality through my own behavior. And, you know, I've got two caveats to preface it with. One is the caveat that I just gave that I don't really believe that... um, the notion of a personal carbon footprint is really, you know, a useful approach to the problem. And in some ways, I think it's actually a distraction from the actual nature of the problem. And the second point is that in, you know, bragging about my own personal behavior, I also want to explicitly acknowledge with no equivocation that uh, 
I'm in a privileged position. I work as a freelance writer, and that affords me a lot of flexibility that a lot of people don't have. Absolutely. I want to emphasize that point. So, uh, you know, I acknowledge my personal privilege here, and I am not trying to guilt trip anybody, or at least I'm not trying to guilt trip anybody who's a member of the working class, as opposed to the jet setters. With all of that said, I just want to note that um, throughout all of the year 2021, I did not once set foot in an internal combustion vehicle. Not once. I think it's the only, the, the only year in my life that I failed to do so. I did not get into an internal combustion vehicle at all. I did not once set foot on public transportation. Didn't get on a bus. Didn't get on the subway. I got around entirely on my own two feet and my bicycle. 100%. My geographic range throughout all of 2021 was largely limited to Lower Manhattan and overwhelmingly to um, what I consider to be the greater Lower East Side and Chinatown. I mean, some people would argue that, in fact, I don't live on the Lower East Side. I live in the East Village or NoHo. <clears throat> I consider it all to be a part of the greater Lower East Side. 14th Street in the north to, uh, let's say, Broadway to the west, the East River, of course, to the east, and then it's kind of a raggedy border to the south. I went up to the uh, the Chelsea Market on 15th Street numerous times because a friend of mine, uh, I'll give her a shout out. Thank you, Carolinda Gonzalez, took me out uh, to her fave um, Thai restaurant up in the Chelsea Market on 15th Street several times over the course of 2021. So thank you, Carol, and thank you to the uh, the good folks at Ayata Thai NYC. Of course, now I'm not eating in restaurants because, uh, you know, since the Omicron wave hit in, especially given that I haven't had my booster yet, I'm eating at home. I'm not going out to restaurants at all. I haven't for several weeks now. So I did go up to uh, 15th Street uh, a few times over the course of 2021. And I'm pretty sure that I went above 15th Street no more than three times and no further than 53rd Street. I definitely did not get above 53rd Street over the entire course of 2021. So I can't say I was you know, strictly confined to 14th Street because I did go up to the Chelsea Market, a <laughs> block north of 14th Street. But I didn't get north of 15th Street more than three times. I'm pretty sure of that. And no further north than 53rd Street. Okay, in the other direction, I went out to Brooklyn, I think, four times. And each time, no further than Atlantic Avenue and Flatbush. Because uh, I get my olive oil at a Yemeni grocer who sells really good imported Lebanese olive oil really cheap. So that's where I get my olive oil on uh, Atlantic Avenue. And I, you know, I bike out there and carry it back, uh, you know, in a backpack on, on my back, on my bicycle, over the Manhattan Bridge. So uh, let's see how I do in 2022. We're almost through the... Uh, the first month of 2022 now, still haven't taken public transportation, still haven't gotten into an internal combustion vehicle, still haven't gone above 14th Street. I think I did go out to, to uh, Atlantic Avenue once this year so far. <clears throat> now, again, I don't have any illusions at all that I'm having any impact by living this way on the actual amount of carbon that's being spewed into the atmosphere. I understand. It's having no impact at all on the amount of carbon that's being spewed into the atmosphere. Because the buses are still running whether I take them or not. 
And I acknowledge that I can live this way by virtue of being a freelance writer. I can make my own hours. I work at home. All totally acknowledged. But I uh, still have enough chutzpah to put forth the proposition that by living this way, I'm providing an example, however small an example, of what another way of life could look like if the human race is to survive on this planet. So to hell with your normality or your normalcy, to use the ubiquitous malapropism, I am going to be dragged back into normalcy, kicking and screaming. I am going to resist normalcy to the bitter end. This has been Bill Weinberg with the Counter Vortex. I promise I'm going to get back to the geopolitical tip next week. I absolutely promise. Thank you, listeners, for bearing with me in, uh, what, several weeks now, a few weeks now of ranting about, uh, you know, my own personal problems. Please do check us out online at countervortex.org, where, in fact, I do blog about world politics from an anarchist point of view every day. Support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash countervortex. Join the counter vortex. Join the resistance. Say no to normalcy and rant on you next time.